0: Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that you have created each one of us here, in the other campuses, online, all of us, Lord, for a purpose. For a purpose that you've ordained before time. Lord, I also know that there are bumps and bruises and there are detours and potholes along the way. Pray this morning, Father, that you would Engage each of us in the way that we need to hear from you in whatever circumstance we find ourselves, Lord, to bring about the fullness of faith in us and your your redeeming work in and through us. And everything that's not of you this morning would just fall away. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there was a Chinese fable that goes something like this. A farmer had only one horse, and one day his horse ran away. And his neighbor said, I'm so sorry. This is such bad news. You must be so upset. And the farmer just said, we'll see. And a few days later, his horse came back, and with 20 more wild horses with it. And his son and he were able to corral all 21 horses. And his neighbor said, congratulations. You must be so happy. This is such great news. And the farmer said, We'll see. Well, one of the wild horses kicked the man's only son, breaking both his legs severely. And his neighbors came and said, I'm so sorry, this is such bad news. You must be so upset. And the farmer said, we'll see. Well, the country went to war and every able-bodied young man was drafted to fight, and the war was terrible and killed every young man, except the farmer's son was spared since his broken legs prevented him from being drafted. And the neighbors said, congratulations, this is such good news, you must be so happy. And the farmer said, we'll see. You see, the God of the Bible is the we'll see God. When he created Adam and Eve, in the garden to have intimate fellowship with him, and and they sinned and broke fellowship, and it looked like God's plan for humanity was forever separated. We'll see. When Abraham, who was designated to be the father of many, many nations, and he was going to provide the lineage through which Jesus would come, but his wife Sarah was barren, we'll see. When the Israelites were trapped in Egypt and they were his chosen people, the nation he had built, and it looked like all was lost. We'll see. When Moses comes to save them from Pharaoh and take them into the Promised Land, the first thing they run into is the Red Sea and they're trapped. And it looks like they're either gonna be drowned or have to go back into slavery in Egypt. We'll see. When they finally get to the Promised Land, And the spies go, and they see nothing but giants in the land, and they fear that they cannot have it. We'll see. When David is anointed king, but Saul is still on the throne, and Saul is pursuing him to kill David and snuff out the lineage of Christ, we'll see. When Peter, one of Christ's closest disciples, denies him three times on his arrest looks like Peter's disqualified, we'll see. When Christ, who is the plan of God for the redemption of mankind, is killed on the cross and in the grave, and it looks like, once again, God's plans are thwarted and his promises will not bear out, we'll see. When a church is formed after Pentecost, and it begins in Jerusalem, and there are people coming to the Lord, and all of a sudden the church is severely persecuted, forcing it into the outer regions. And it looks like a fledging religion is snuffed out before it starts. We'll see. Folks, we still serve the we'll see God. Now, it's easy, I think, to see life as a series of mountains and valleys connected by a few very short plateaus, in my experience, And several years ago, I was in a valley. Oh, sure, on the outside, everything looked great. I had a great job, a great family, a great reputation. But inside, I was dying. I was dry physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And a marriage of over 20 years was hanging in the balance. It looked like it wasn't gonna make it. We didn't know if our marriage would survive. And with it, the plans that God had to birth our purposes through Shelly and through I and through us together. We'll see. How many of you have experienced a valley in the last couple of years? A few of us, right? Particularly during the pandemic. I had a friend who said, you know, in my life, it seems like, Greg, to be honest, I'm either in a valley, just coming out of a valley, or about ready to enter a valley. Well, I don't know about that, but I do know this. Jesus said in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So I've tried to adopt the posture of rather than trying to avoid valleys, to learn from the Lord how to navigate the valleys that we experience. So let's take a look at Joseph. I call Joseph a valley veteran, And the story was so wonderfully told by the team uh, of Genesis 37 through 45. And I think it it gave us an opportunity to look at that story through fresh eyes. I mean, Joseph had these two dreams, the dream of the sheaves uh, of grain and then the sun, moon, and stars, and he bows down to his family. And Joseph is not quite smart enough to figure out older brothers don't like to have things rubbed in their face. I'm the youngest of three brothers, and when I started reading that story, I was like, oh no, this isn't going to end well. I know how this ends, with a bloody nose and a bruise. But for him, it actually ended worse. He ended up being thrown in a pit, and he was sold by his family. He gets sent down to Potiphar's house, and you saw he did everything right. He served in his capacity as the captain of guard. Did everything right, but he was wrongly accused. And as a result, Potiphar, the people he served so well, they sent him to prison. But Joseph still chose to serve. The baker and the cupbearer were there. And he, unfortunately for the baker, the dream didn't go so well. For the cupbearer, he says, you're going to be restored to your place of of service with Pharaoh. He says, and when you do, would you remember me? And these two haunting words are in Scripture. It says about the cupbearer, he said, but he forgot Joseph. Two more years, Joseph waited in prison. Now, if we'd have intersected uh, Joseph in prison right there and said, hey, Joe, how's it going? You know, you had this great dream, these promises from God. Joseph's like, "Ah, not great at all. First, I'm sold by my family. Then I'm betrayed by the people that I've given my life and service to. And then I end up in prison. And then in an instant, Pharaoh has a dream. The cupbearer remembers and he's restored into the Pharaoh, in, uh, in front of the Pharaoh and ends up ruling in Egypt. Now what we didn't read in the scripture is later on, his family is starving in Israel. They need food, they come to Egypt, they don't know Joseph's down there. There's an encounter with his brothers and in that encounter he unveils his identity. They see him and they're like, oh no, we're gonna get ours. But Joseph looks at them and he says, I think one of the most amazing sentences in the Bible, he said, you sold me, but God sent me to preserve life. You sold me, but God sent me. And then with faith, Joseph, after this journey he's been on, at the end of his life, he says, you're you're not gonna stay here forever. You're going back to Israel, all of you. And when you do, you take my bones with you even though at that time he's still in Egypt with no signs of returning. What an amazing story, really. But let's take a closer look at what's going on here and see if we can maybe tap into God's perspective on it. So at 17, he has this dream of his destiny, and it's from God. It's it's a good thing. It's, It's a promise that he's gonna hold on to. And how's that journey begin? It begins with the pit. Not so good. But might I suggest to you that the pit is actually dream fulfillment stage one? And you're like, how is that, Greg? Well, I can assure you that Joseph was very happy in Israel. He was the favorite of his father. He already had this multicolored coat. He was the baby. I know about being the baby. Hi, mom. She's telling you, yep, you were the baby. And he had an inheritance. He had an identity. He wasn't going anywhere. But the problem was, The Lord needed him in Egypt. So the Lord used the pit to get him to Egypt. Well, then he ends up in Potiphar's house as a servant. You might say, well, gosh, how does that help? But might I suggest to you that Potiphar's house is actually dream fulfillment stage two? And you might say, how's that, Greg? Well, think of it this way. If he hadn't worked in Potiphar's house, he never would have learned how to rule in a a different culture. He never would have learned the ways and made the relationships to be able to walk into his destiny at some point, and he certainly wouldn't have been able to learn to resist temptation, either wealth or from Potiphar's wife. So he grew in character in Potiphar's house. And that ended him up in prison, and that looks like a bad thing. But might I suggest to you, prison is dream fulfillment stage three. And how is that, you might ask? Well, if he hadn't been in prison, he never would have met the cupbearer. And if he hadn't met the cupbearer and interpreted his dream, he never would have been put in front of Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dream. You see, through the natural lens, all of these things look hopeless. They all look like a retreat from the promises of God and the things that are good for Joseph. But Joseph didn't get stuck. He learned how to navigate the valley. And he waited in this valley for 13 years. That seems like a long time, but the more I read the Bible, the more I realize, mm, not really. Abraham, who was this father of uh, the Israel nation and who was going to lineage, was gonna birth Christ, was promised a son, waited 25 years. Moses, who was gonna lead the people out of Egypt. If you remember, he didn't wanna even go anywhere. He was on the side of a hill. And let alone realize he was gonna take 40 years of wandering to bring him to the promised land. Paul, whose explicit purpose was to be the missionary to the Gentiles, by all accounts, waited about 15 years to even go on his first missionary journey. David, who I mentioned, he was anointed king by the prophet, waited 13 years to come into the throne. And during those 13 years, pretty much was running away from Saul, who was trying to kill him. Why wait? Why did Joseph have to wait 13 years? Because Joseph wasn't ready for his destiny. You see, he was selfish, he was proud, he was unskilled at 17, and he he wasn't even in the land of his destiny. So, this slide, first slide, says it this way Joseph's character and capability weren't ready for his destiny. Joseph's character, and capability weren't ready for his destiny. The second thing we've, we have learned from this, the second slide is his faith was being tested so that he could learn about God's faithfulness to him through these circumstances and grow into fullness. And his faith was being tested, that slide, so that he could learn about God's faithfulness to him through these circumstances and grow into fullness. So Joseph gained a a new perspective on his journey because he learned who God is, his nature. He wrestled with God in those places and he discovered more about him and he learned to trust his ways. So Joseph chose to believe God's promises, not his circumstances or his feelings, which certainly belied the stories and promises that he had been given. And at the end of it then, He could look at his brothers and say, no, you you sold me, but God sent me to preserve life. And as a result, he could declare in faith that his bones would be buried in his homeland because he knew the Lord would take them back there. So in this next slide, it says, what we learn from Joseph is that the pit, Potiphar's house and prison can be the end of the journey or the preparation for the main event. You see, this is our story as well. We have to learn to to contend and navigate the pit, Potiphar's house, and prison, our version of it. We've got to contend for our destiny. We have to be transformed by our life experiences. And our faith must grow as our character and our capability are developed with it. And we must hope in the, we'll see God. Uh, Adam referenced the ministry that my wife, Shelley and I started with some other people and our daughters, and uh, it's called Iron Bell. And when we were first forming it, kind of all heck broke loose. Uh, you know, people who had come to help us decided they were moving back. Uh, there were relational issues. The neighbors were upset, all kinds of chaos. And I sat down with my pastor at that time, and I said, Pastor, this, this isn't going so well. You know, I, I, I could throw in the towel, I don't need to do this. And he said, Greg, let me tell you this story, true story. He says, I have a friend who's a pastor in Oregon and he has a, a congregant who's a wine grower. Well, I'm listening now. I, I like wine. Um, and he says, he, he has these vines and he's a little different. He said, every morning he grabs his coffee and is, rolls up his newspaper for the young people in the audience, the older people explain what a newspaper is to them. But suffice it to say, he could roll it up and use it and he walked through his vineyard and he walked by his vines and he gently hit each vine and said, and it would go thwack, thwack, thwack. And he would do this every day for year in and year out. And, and one year there was a uh, terrible storm that hit the region and a lot of the vineyards in the area were wiped out. It had great damage to their vines, but his suffered very little damage and everybody's like, what'd you do? How did it happen? He said, well, it's very simple. He said, every morning I'd get up, I'd grab my coffee, I'd roll up my newspaper, I'd walk through the vineyard, and I'd take my newspaper and I'd thwack each vine, thwack. He said, and when I thwack that vine, it signals trauma to the vine, and the vine says, go deeper, send your roots deeper. You're experiencing trauma, you have to go deeper, and it sends its roots deeper. So when the big storm came, they were ready for it. And I said, oh, So my pastor looked at me and says, Greg, you've just been thwacked. God never does anything broad until he does it deep. See, God's a farmer. And I think because we don't live in an agricultural society anymore, we lose track of that. See, a farmer doesn't go out and plant a seed and then the next day come back and say, where's my harvest? What happened here? No, he he goes out first he tills the soil. Then he plants a seed, then he tends the crop, he weeds it, he waters it. Then he comes in for a harvest. And many times in our life, we want God to be the instant God. God, this is what I want. And I've seen God work miraculously in an instant, like he did when he brought Joseph in front of Pharaoh. And I've seen some, some amazing things that God's done in people's lives and stories I have. But you know what I've seen more? Is that God's the God of the process. God is the God of the process. Um, we went to a winery, Shelly and I went, were visiting our, our kids in, in Virginia, and in that region in Virginia, it's, it's a burgeoning wine-growing area, or a grape-growing and a winery, and it, they called themselves the Napa of the East. We were in a, a winery once, one of the ones that uh, was recommended to us. We sat down for the wine tasting, you know, where they do flights, and, uh, well, I didn't drink it, but I did sip it, I spit it out, don't worry. Um, Thank you for laughing. Um, but as I was tasting, I noticed that this is good wine. I said, this must be, I see all these winers around. This must be really good soil. And they said, no, no, the soil's terrible. I said, really? Tell me more. They said, well, in most parts, it's kind of craggy, and it's hard for the roots to get nutrients and water. So it forces the roots to go deep to gain the nutrients. And it's in the struggle to gain the nutrients that the greatest fruit is produced. I said, oh, God really is a farmer. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says it this way. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. We also glory in our sufferings? Paul, I always knew he was a little strange, Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see the progression? I think we we all need a renewed perspective on God's process. You know, why a process? Why is there a process that God uses? Well, when I was in leadership at YUM, uh, I had the fortune of working with Dr. Noel Tishy, who was one of the foremost experts in adult learning. <clears throat> and he said, Greg, this can be very simple for you as we go forward. And he helped build Crotonville up here, by the way, for GE. He said, but you just need to understand this one thing. He said, you have three zones that your people are going to operate in, all of us do. He said, there's the comfort zone. That's where you're comfortable. Uh, Then there's the panic zone. He said, that's as if, Greg, let's say I wanted to train you like a Navy SEAL and we go out your first night and you're in the shape you're in and I push you out the airplane at midnight, you're a mile offshore and you don't have any instructions, you gotta find your way back. To which I said, I'm just gonna swallow a bunch of water, I don't wanna suffer that much. He said, but the thing is, there's this sweet spot in the middle in between those called the learning zone. And he said, We can create the learning zone for people if we can create just enough discomfort, you know, maybe a little pain, not in the physical sense, but just a a rethinking of their circumstances. That's where the growth comes. That's the learning. He said, So that's what you need to do. I was reminded of a story when I was at a church once and they had a, a. a, a motivational speaker come in, and it was a, a guy who had no arms and no legs, and he, he was missing them from birth. And he told the story of when he was young, he was on the floor getting ready for school, and he was putting his shirt on, which you can imagine would be a very, very difficult proposition for him. And his mom was in the kitchen, the neighbor came and knocked on the door and said, uh, hey, uh, I need to borrow an egg. Can you grab me an egg? And she went to go get the egg, and over her uh, shoulder then, he could see The neighbor could see the son struggling to put the shirt on. She said, oh, no, you don't have to get that right now. Help your son first. And the mom looked at the neighbor and said, I am helping my son. I read about this uh, biosphere that they created. I think it was in Arizona, where they created the perfect growing conditions, the soil, the moisture, the humidity. Everything was perfect. And after a while, everything grew, except at some point, all the trees died out. And when they investigated it and studied it, what they realized is the tree's roots were very shallow. And so as it grew, it couldn't hold the weight and they fell over. And this is what they discovered. They discovered that there was no winds of resistance that forced the tree to grow deep roots. And as a result, it was weak and died. You see, in our life, we all love the winds of favor, don't we? I love when I know the Lord is working. I know when he's with me. I know when I take two steps, he accomplishes four things. And I pray for those winds of favor. But here's the thing. In God's kingdom, winds of resistance usually come first. Winds of resistance come to strengthen us, to cause our roots to grow deep, to prepare us for the purposes and the promises that God has for our life. Winds of favor, yes. But first, winds of resistance. James 1, 2 through 4 says it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That makes two biblical authors crazy. Paul, right? And now James. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, it's our our tests and our trials that produce the growth. Now, I mentioned at the very beginning, uh, over 17 years ago now, our marriage was, was struggling. And we didn't know if we were gonna make it. And we were in a pit. And in this vice of pain and confusion, you know, there was a crisis and I, I had a choice, am I gonna keep vying for this marriage or am I gonna quit? And I had these, it it sounded like a stupid question at the time, but when you're in the pit, you do ask stupid questions, don't you? You don't see things clearly. But can God put Humpty Dumpty back together again? Is he able, am I willing, am I worthy? We'll see. But how do we contend for our destiny? How, how do we grow in faith when we're experiencing a valley? Well, I believe the first and most important thing is we have to gain God's perspective on the situation. That's the key. And our focus is critical. And on this next slide, I hope to be able to walk you through just a, a little bit of what. We've learned about navigating valleys. You see, as you go from left to right, we're on this line. We have God's intended purpose and destiny for our life, and we're discovering it, and we're walking in the direction of it that we think, or we're being propelled into it. And then along comes a pit, and in that pit, we take a detour and we're confronted with a a very difficult situation. Our circumstances look different than what we thought our life or the promises of God were gonna be. And so it's decision time. What do we do with that when our circumstances look different, like Joseph's, from what his dream was, from what he knew God had for him, his purposes? And so how we respond, I believe, is everything, and this is the choice we have. Either we, we agree with the accuser, the enemy is there in the pit, And the enemy is gonna try to get you to agree with lies about God or yourself. See, I told you God wasn't good. See, I told you God wasn't near. See, I told you God didn't care about you. See, I told you you weren't worthy. And as we agree with those, we become defeated. We're done. And we find ourselves disqualified. We feel like we're out of the game for what God has for us. And hope certainly is not there, and faith is diminished. Or we we can move to the right-hand side and exercise faith and trust in the promises of God, where we're surrendered, but we're not defeated. We're surrendered to the purposes of God. We're surrendered to the things he's wanting to do in our life, but we're not defeated in those circumstances. We have faith in him. We declare his promises over our life, We persevere in faith and faithfulness, in God's faithfulness, so that we we begin to soak in the truth of God about him and about ourselves. And I believe this catapults us, it gives us a new view. It takes us up to the top of the hill where we get a faith-filled view of the hill, where our faith grows, where we see God's better than plan and where we're actually even more qualified for our destiny. Because we know God in a new way. Our faith has grown. We've tested his promises and they've held. This allows us to get a glimpse of the true goal of God. And an understanding of his nature. You see, your circumstances do not define God's nature or his ways. And they don't change his promises and they don't define you. Only he gets to define you. And it's faith that carries us through. Hebrews 11.1 1 in the Amplified, this is one of my favorite verses, <clears throat> says this. Now faith is the assurance. It's the title deed, the confirmation. If you've ever been in real estate, you know when you hold that title deed, you own it. Of the things that are hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And then listen to this. It's the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. True biblical faith is knowing something that's not evident in our physical senses, but it's known because we know who God is, we know his promises, we know his character, and we can lean on that and choose that. Several years ago, Shelly and I, we were up in uh, Corning and we were at the Corning Glass Works and we were in this glass blowing demonstration. I'm not talking about where they take the little thing and you know, blow a little cup out the end. I'm talking about this huge oven that's heated up to over 2,800 degrees and where this master craftsman's standing in front of it and he says, doing a demonstration, he says, you see this lump of glass on the end of this stick? He said, it's, uh, that's glass? It doesn't look like, yeah, it's glass. But the problem is, It's not usable for me to be able to create what I've designed to create out of it. And he said, my whole task is this. The first step is I put this in the oven in the hottest part where it's over 2,800 degrees. And he said, here's the trick. I leave it there long enough so that the dross burns off and the glass is molten. And if I leave it in too long, it falls to the bottom of the oven and melts and it's no good. So I get that glass to the point where the dross is gone and it's shapeable and moldable. I pull it out and then I make it in to what the the artisan wants it to be. And Shelley and I both looked at each other. We said, that's God. That's God. That's how he uses these valleys. You see, uh, a few years ago when I was in a valley, I said to the Lord, you know, I seem to keep showing up in these same movies that I don't like the ending, and but I'm, I'm with different actors. And the Lord said, we had these conversations. He said, Greg, did you notice the only constant in this is you? Oh, good point. He said, and here's what I learned through that. He said, he showed me, Greg, when I put you in the oven to burn off the dross and to shape you, you keep jumping off the stick. And so I gotta keep putting you back in the oven and then you jump off the stick. He said, if you let me mold you and shape you, burn off the dross, I can make you more of what I designed you to be and launch you into your destiny. Don't waste it, he said. Cooperate with what I'm doing to you. Align to my purposes and plans. Trust me. Trust me to hold that stick long enough to accomplish my purpose, but not to let you melt on the bottom of the oven. Said you'll be more prepared for your destiny and the purposes that God has for you. Now you can see how we can consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds or how we can glory in our sufferings, as Paul said. So this slide says, when properly navigated, Our testing and trials allow us to get to know God, grow in faith, and prepare us for our life purposes. Know God, grow in faith, and prepare us for our life purposes. Remember the continuing story of my marriage I shared earlier? Well, we got really good counsel. We dug in, we did the work. We surrounded ourselves with good people, people who could speak hope into us. But really, I think for me, what shifted it was this. Everything shifted when I surrendered to God and trusted his ways and let him guide the process, let him lead, let him turn the heat up enough to burn the dross off and shape me and align to his plan. You know, I asked, what are you doing, not why? I began to act in faith, based on him, I adored him, I trusted him, even when I didn't feel like, and I gained his perspective, and he said this, Greg, I'm changing you, I'm conforming you, your character isn't ready for your destiny, you're selfish, you're proud, and you don't know me nearly as well as you need to know me. I want you to know me as the God who transforms, the God who restores, and the God who redeems, and the only way through that is through this trial that I have for you. Well, now our our marriage is thriving. Shelly's not here this morning, so you can't validate that, but Shelly, give me a thumbs up. Uh, But we have a a marriage coaching and a marriage conference that we do. People aren't coming to see us. People are coming because they've heard the story. I wanna know this God that transforms. I wanna know this God who restores. I wanna know this God who redeems things from the pit. You see, like Joseph, we still serve the will see God. Now, not everything turns out the way we want it. Life is full of pain and loss. Joseph had to experience the pit Potiphar's house in prison. So there's a real pain to this. But God will accomplish his purposes. And he will keep his promises in our life. Conclude with this story. Uh, there was a startup church that formed in an unchurched area that I was familiar with, and their first pastor left abruptly after a short tenure, leaving this fledgling startup congregation without a shepherd and on shaky ground. We'll see. When the next pastor left, without notice, five years into his tenure, and once again, that same church was left without a shepherd for over a year, struggling to survive. We'll see. When the church became divided over a building to call their home and fractures in the church started to occur causing a shaking, we'll see. When the town they wanna build in denies them that right and they have to seek permission in the courts all the way up to the US Supreme Court and it looks like they'll never have a building to call their own, we'll see. When the beloved longtime senior pastor decides to step aside and a new pastor with a completely different style and vision comes in disrupting the church's direction we'll see when tragedy strikes the areas served by this church and resources and faith are tested and people are devastated we'll see when the pandemic strikes causing a shutdown of the church and creates polarizing decisions that threaten the unity of the body and the breaking of relationship we'll see When the hometown son who grew up to be the gifted preacher is called elsewhere and things feel upended, we'll see. Folks, that church is Walnut Hill. That's us. That's our story. God has been faithful to us, and he will be faithful to us in this season. Amen. So let me ask each of us. Are you contending for God's purposes in your life? Are you pursuing in faith your destiny, whether you're in the pit, Potiphar's house, or prison? Whether a son or daughter leaves the faith and and looks like they're lost forever, we'll see. When illness threatens your life, we'll see. When your job is lost and there's no income on the horizon, we'll see. When your marriage is struggling and it looks like it might end, we'll see. When an accident shifts your life dramatically and all you can do is persevere hour by hour, we'll see. When you're forced to move out of town and leave everything and everyone you've known, we'll see. If you're in a fire or a crucible, don't jump from the heat too early. Don't give up on God. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Trust his promises. Trust him. Align to his plans. Be conformed to his image. Get to know him fully in that place. Ask what, not why. And I believe that you'll see God. And like Joseph, who could give instructions to the Israelites about them going home and taking his bones, knowing they would return home, I believe you'll see him more deeply and fully. And yourself with the character and the capability and the faith to live out the purposes of God in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are the will see God. That circumstances and the lies of the enemy can come against us, Lord, but ultimately your promises, your plans prevail. Lord, give us the faith to lean into those and say, when I don't understand, I will trust you. So Father, I just ask that you would, in each person, whether it's here or other campuses or online, that your Holy Spirit would just move in their life right now and bring about the hope and the building of faith that they need. In Jesus' name, amen.